The views expressed in this program are those of the participants. What are you doing? Homework. <laughs> what is this? Math. I can see that, but what does it mean? This is the locally Euclidean metrization of a K-fold contravariant Riemann tensor field. You any good at it? You don't like me. I didn't say that. No problem. I have many friends that don't like me. But what do you know about me? You're a thief. I steal to survive, not because I enjoy it. Then why are you helping Sovereign Maruk to change all that? Maybe because I want something better for me and for my children. You have children? Yeah, two sons. One's just about your age. He's not any good at math. Welcome, everyone. It is Thursday, December 22nd, 2016. I'm Bob Metz. And I'm Robert Vaughn. And this is Just Right, broadcasting around the world and online. Join us for an hour of discussion. It's not right wing. It's just right. Fade into color and color into black and white. Under the bedclothes, everything will be well, I'm not very good at mathematics myself, but I'm sure that our guest, Dr. Christopher Essex of the Department of Applied Mathematics of Western University, is much better at it than either myself or Robert. Welcome to the show, Chris. Thank you, Robert. And before we get under our conversation today, we just want to remind our listeners that they can write us at feedback at justrightmedia.org, subscribe to Just Right on iTunes, hear us on WBCQ, and on Channel 292 Shortwave. Visit us at www.justrightmedia.org, where you can access all of Just Right's social media links, including Twitter, Facebook, YouTube, and, of course, all of our past broadcasts. Last time you were on the show, Chris, was back in April, and we certainly welcome you back, although it wasn't the last time we saw you. Just to let our listeners know that Robert and I last saw you October 29th when you spoke at Freedom Party's Embracing Climate Change event held at the Lamplighter Inn in London, and your presentation, which is available online at www.freedomparty.on.ca, entitled Politicians, Apocalypse, and Supernovas, is available to anyone either at that location or look it up on YouTube. But we're not going to be talking about climate change as such, although it might come Thank up goodness. in the conversation today. <laughs> yes, I know it's, it's your favorite topic. Yeah. You wrote the book about it. Yes. You know, when I was a kid, I used to read a comic book called, a uh, gold key comic book called Magnus Robot Fighter. And it was kind of a chilling storyline about robots that took over the world and, and uh, wanted to take over humanity. And there were some terrifying scenarios projected in that comic that, that suggested that the robots operating under what we would call artificial intelligence today were intent on taking over the world and threatening mankind in the process, though in adult retrospect, I would seriously wonder why they would even bother to want to do that. But... That's the topic that's always interested me. You're being in, in mathematics and in computing. This whole concept of artificial intelligence is much in the news lately, something we haven't really discussed on the show. And it comes up in many manifestations, I guess, from the, the idea of even creating a, 
a character like, say, Data on Star Trek, you know, who, who would be considered sentient, almost human being, to uh, what we're hearing lately, uh, so much talk about driverless cars and, and other applications of that nature that might qualify under the artificial intelligence label. Now, coming from your perspective as someone in, in the field or maybe outside the field, I don't know how you see yourself in that respect, what's your take on all of this? Are we talking, is this an artificial conversation or is it a real conversation? Is it all about definition? What, what is artificial intelligence? Is it just semantics and then we can go on from there? Or how, how, how do you see this big picture? Well, first of all, I, I always like to say when I when talk about something uh, scientific or something mathematical and so forth, I, I just want to make it very clear. Is I, f I find this stuff all utterly fascinating. I mean, it's, it's yes. interesting and, uh, and it's uh, something that uh, you can follow to a great scientific depth. It's not just something that it's just it is or it isn't. So there's a lot of issues to talk about. And you just went through kind of a, a list of some of them. I mean, mm -hmm. in the first instance, the question is, what do you mean by intelligence? And there are many terms that are very useful in day-to-day -day casual conversations, which people use for various purposes, but they really just aren't very they aren't very precise. And um, now precision is not an absolute good just because you know, sometimes it's nice to be vague. Um, and I could get into that point uh, if, if we, we want to. But um, if you want to actually take one of these ideas and you want to actually project it onto something mathematical, onto something computational in the sense of what you do on a computer, or something physical, you have to refine very sharply what it is that you are actually talking about. So there's two agendas, right, to, to begin with. You know, well, how do you want to use this thing in a casual conversation? And how are you going to actually use it to actually hook it up to the real world in some sort of mechanistic way? So intelligence is, um, is a sort of example of something that's been kind of used in both ways. People feel comfortable with the idea and day-to-day -day conversations. You know, this person's intelligent and this one's not intelligent. And, you know, maybe that, there's some, some merit to that kind of thing. And then there are people who are trying to quantify what intelligence is. And from the outset, there's already a problem with that because there are two sort of basic things or properties to physical measurements that people don't often think about. You know, we have a physical measurement in the sense of a quantity of something versus a physical measurement representing its condition. Is it in good condition or is it in bad condition? It's not, you know, there's not like an amount of good condition. It's just either good mm -hmm. or bad. So you can have some intelligence could mean a condition that people have, or it could be an amount of something, you know, like you go to the pump to fill up gas, maybe you could go and fill up on intelligence, right? Is it's a substance that you can which is it? And I don't think everyone, anyone seems to really care to answer that question or really thinks too much about it. The uh, probably, I guess, somewhere in the 1970s and maybe a little bit earlier, there was a, an, a movement to try to explain human intelligence uh, from the point of view of computer algorithms. And uh, I had some encounters with that because I hung around with a bunch of psychologists for a while. Uh, in those days. You were There's slumming. Newell, Newell, <laughs> well, look, I mean, psychology is a very important subject. It's just that uh, it has its 
problems. I know I have a degree in it, so. <laughs> so Newell and Simon are where the information processing people trying to represent psychological things in that, in that period. And so there were a bunch of efforts to bring up, you know, how computers could be smart and how people would perceive their smartness and so forth. And this, and I, you know, so I avoided the word intelligence. And then, of course, there's always the question of, you know, really questioning a psychologist about IQ tests. And you can say, well, what, what is IQ? And the usual kind of bland, uninformative answer is IQ is what an IQ test measures. So, I mean, it's a kind <laughs> of tautology. So when you try to actually nail things down about what we think of as intelligence, we have the human prototype. That's where we got care to discuss the idea. And uh, that then just leads to the idea that maybe computers could be intelligent. And what does that mean? Well, we're now going to talk about things like algorithms, and that gets into issues of mathematics and, and all kinds of other things. So I don't know if that completely answers your question, but I think it's a good opening. Well, it's a big area, isn't it? Maybe yeah. we can start off by just defining our terms. What do you mean, Chris, by artificial, and what do you mean by intelligence? I, I, the idea of intelligence is something that I don't care to define for myself. I prefer to leave it in the, the vague uh, uh, usage category because I don't, I don't care to sort of push it on to something that's measurable. I think that uh, we also use the word smart. So we have, you know, smart systems and smart thermometers mm -hmm. and smart cars. I mean, so what does that mean? Smartphones. And so that's a kind of, that's a euphemism for intelligence. But actually, when you start to think about what is even intelligent, uh, you get into these sort of interesting conversations. I had a, um, a dear friend of mine and I were in this conversation about farm stock in a field with an electric fence around it. And the question was, which is more, more intelligent? Uh, a horse or a cow? And the um, uh, argument was that the horse would come up to this electrified fence and shock itself, and that would be one time, and the horse would learn. Whereas the cows would keep bumping up against it, getting a shock, coming away, and then later on bumping up into it again, and never seeming to learn that they're going to get a shock when they do it. So the our question was, does that mean that the horse is more intelligent than the than the cow. Fascinating because you uh, could you could say that the cow was more intelligent because it's looking for a, a weak in, weakness in the fence. And that's exactly <laughs> that's the punchline. You see, you know, you're playing the oh, business of telling people the joke. Oh, sorry, I never that knew his, the joke. His, his, ar his <laughs> argument, my, my colleague's argument, was that you therefore conclude the cows are more intelligent because they were the ones who were going to get away if the power goes down, right? So that the horses would be mine, right? So, so the, the, there is this question about how, in practical terms, you're actually going to say what's the smarter thing and what isn't the smarter thing. So it, you don't have a simple measure for this kind of quantity. But we're stuck with terms like intelligence because it's a property well, so, of the some, world. Some of the, some well, of the dictionary definition of intelligent is, as you're, mm -hmm. you're even alluding to, is really vague anyway. I mean, the first one that comes up is the ability to acquire and apply knowledge and skills. That is just so well, that's true, but open for interpretation. Know, and, and I vague. was looking online myself for AI, and, and there, there are many contexts. There's the intelligence exhibited by machines, a, quote, a flexible, rational agent. Colloquial, it could just mean a machine that mimics 
cognitive functions, so it's just mimicking something and it seems intelligent. Machines that understand human speech or play strategic games, everything from chess to... Did they actually use those words? Yeah. I see. Interesting. So I I was very surprised at that myself. And, of course, self-driving cars, which are coming now. And they posit that the central problems of AI research include reasoning, knowledge, planning, learning, natural language processing, communications, perception, and the ability to move and manipulate objects. Wow. And uh, and they say yeah, it includes... Yeah, I think there's all kinds of problems here. Yeah, well. okay, it's okay. <laughs> I, it, look, I, I don't mind people getting frisky with the language, which mm-hmm. is what they're doing. I mean, they're getting quite frisky. Uh, the, the idea that uh, artificial intelligence understands is yes. a big is a big philosophical yeah, that's my problem well it's a big philosophical dispute and it's it's on the record people so it's it's not something that's settled so if they want to insist on them understanding then they're really essentially defining what understanding is in terms of what ai is right so it's comes back to the tautology of iq is what iq tests measure right but before we get onto that, mm-hmm. I just wanted to sort of measure, you stay away from computers just for a moment. Sure. And I like to talk about house pets for a moment. Okay. Well, why not? <laughs> yes. Um, <laughs> so we, we, we got a, a, a puppy many years ago, and uh, um, I was really amazed by how when playing with the puppy, yeah, I, I like to play with puppies and grandchildren and things like that. But when playing with the puppy, how cunning it was. You know, I mean, I dodge around one side and it would anticipate and it would come around the other side. And, and it was quite, uh, quite clever. And I was um, quite uh, delighted by all of this. And I went to work and I told one of my colleagues in the applied math department, uh, you know, I really am amazed just how smart these dogs are. And he looked at me and he stared at me and then he said, You've been teaching first year for too long. <laughs> <laughs> Getting sloppy in your so, language. Eh? <laughs> well, I, I mean, the, po- the, bo- the bottom line is that, that it, there is a perceptive aspect to this, and there's a context and, and so on. And I think that uh, it's easy to, get r- to run away with this terminology and uh, you know, fall in love with the science fiction programs and... Uh, so on, and, and uh, lose track of what the actual roots are of the topic. Are you saying the ship is under the control of the holodeck? Not precisely. Jordy, does a configuration of connection nodes look familiar to you? Yeah. Yeah, it looks a little like the structure of your positronic brain. That is correct. It would appear that the nodes are in the process of creating a rudimentary neural net. Data. What are you suggesting? Unlikely as it may sound, I believe the Enterprise may be forming an intelligence. This is a cross-section of my positronic net, and this is a schematic of the connection nodes linking the ship's systems. I believe some sort of neural matrix is forming on the ship. It is still relatively primitive, but it is an intelligence nonetheless. How could that happen? I believe it is an emergent property. 
Explain. Complex systems can sometimes behave in ways that are entirely unpredictable. The human brain, for example, might be described in terms of cellular functions and neurochemical interactions. But that description does not explain human consciousness, a capacity that far exceeds simple neural functions. Consciousness is an emergent property. In other words, something that's more than just the sum of its parts. Exactly. So, Chris, um, Stephen Hawking is an intelligent man, and that's no misuse of the word, I think. And he's recently come out and said the development of full AI could spell the end of the human race, and therefore we should get off the planet. I, I hear that, and I'm thinking, boy, that is some great generalization, speculation. Do you share his um, idea that AI is going to end the human race at some point in the time? Or even or could? represent a threat. <laughs> Well, I, I mean, I think it's a very hyperbolic remark, put it that way. And I think everyone should be allowed a good hyperbolic remark or two and be forgiven, you know. <laughs> I, I, I indulge in that myself from time to time and I get carried away. And I, would is, describe, yeah. I would describe that as probably being, getting carried away because I think in the end, I mean, first of all, you know, as we discussed um, at my talk at the last Freedom Party event, Human beings are into apocalypse. It's something, it's one of their guilty pleasures. They like to worry about that. And uh, it's something that comes naturally to people. And so whenever you do something, whether you're going to um, push some nuclear uh, launch codes into a system or whether you're going to build AI or whether you're going to brush your teeth, you know, you might consider, does that, is that going to lead to apocalypse or something like that? I mean, that's, uh, <laughs> I mean, you, you know, that's just something that people do. I, I, as far as AI coming to that, I think there's a very long chain of reasoning to go to fit between uh, mo monster killer robots uh, coming back in time and destroying Skynet coming to destroy us. Oh all. yeah, <laughs> and and what and what uh, and and where we are now. I think there's a long chain of reasoning, but the problem is people don't really have a very good sense of all the steps that would have to be required if you really wanted to destroy the world with AI. There is this uh, whole singularity movement. I don't know if you're aware of that. That's uh, that where computers are going to be, are going to become so powerful that at one because point. Because of quantum just, physics and things like that? Well, I don't think it's quantum, quantum computing. I mean. It's just a Moore's law extrapolation. Mm -hmm. The whole thing is they're just going to be able to do so much that, that they're going to be smarter than you and they're going to take over and uh, that's it. Uh, but uh, one of the things that people I don't think appreciate is that computers actually make mistakes. They get things wrong for very fundamental reasons and uh, they may be fast. There's nothing, absolutely nothing like a computer to do things wrong at a very high speed. <laughs> um, well, it's funny you say that because you speak of apocalypse on a grand scale. I guess it could be happening on a smaller scale. Just heard a couple days ago that uh, Uber, you know, they're introducing these self-driving cars and they were driving them around on tests in California. And the California government pulled them all off the road because they had so many close accidents and a couple of accidents, even though they had drivers in the car to back up, and that the, that the machines were making so many errors in, in determining what their surroundings were. Just, and already we've heard of deaths in test cars 
just from something as simple as that. We're not talking about robots coming back from the future, but machines taking action on their own. And quite frankly, when I heard about Ford coming out with a, with a, with a driverless car that will not have a steering wheel in it and will not have a brake or a gas pedal in it, uh, would you get into such a, such a vehicle? Well, um, I, I think we've kind of jumped beyond just the sort of idea of AI at this point. Well, we've gone into this is sort of the AI, whole, isn't it? Well, that's the sort of part that I'm getting after okay. you about this, okay? <laughs> okay. Uh, it's, it's this business about uh, what constitutes smartness. Just because you put an algorithm in it, uh, mm-hmm. that's become used. They use the term smart to indicate that it, it has an algorithm. But algorithms aren't necessarily smart. Right. I mean, that's uh, you could have the wrong algorithm. You have to have the algorithm learn somehow. And of course, that's a whole different issue. I mean, this is a huge subject, but but the idea of smart cars and so on, to my mind, are not really manifestations of intelligence in any sense. They're just making the system much more interactive with the environment that it's in, in some fashion, and having a more sophisticated algorithm, which I think is wonderful stuff. I mean, it's totally fascinating, but I don't call that to my mind, I, th- that doesn't seem like intelligence to me, although many people prefer to extend the definition of intelligence to include that, so I wouldn't include that. In. Now, as far as now getting to the subject of smart cars, I mean, we're starting to, to actually, I mean, many modern cars, We I have a new car, and uh, it has this uh, radar-controlled uh, cruise mm-hmm. feature, which in essence is driving on me, for me, on the highway. I mean, I was very suspicious of it at first, and uh, it took me a while to get become willing to actually believe in it. But it, you know, I've <laughs> <laughs> scary moments when I wasn't sure whether it was going to do the right thing. So I very gingerly got into it, and it, it's really amazing what it does. And uh, but you still have to be the master of that, um, and uh, that's the case with all computing devices. You have to be you have to realize their tools. If you look, think of them that way rather than as colleagues, <laughs> you think of them as tools, then you'll have the right attitude towards them. But if you think of them as colleagues or your master, which is, of course, something that is also happening. And so I spend a lot of time trying to convince my students that um, they actually are smarter than the computers. Hard to see. The human being can quickly see where computers do incorrect mathematics. Do you think that it would ever be possible to reach that stage where some kind of computer, robot, machine would reach that point that you would call it intelligent? Well, what what would its qualities have to be? Well, I mean, how would we know it to see it? Well, I think it's probably going to be something that is not going to be a rational decision. I I think, in a way, the the way in which we currently think of of intelligence in the sort of computer science way is in terms of the so-called Turing test, mm-hmm. where basically you can't distinguish between the reactions of the machine of an algorithm and, um, and what an actual human being would do. And to some extent, that's ver- versions of that, pretty close to that, have already existed for a long, long time. When I was a student, which was long, long ago, there was something, there was a program called ELISA, which um, you could have this kind of conversation. It was kind of had a psychologist's bent to it, but um, you know it would it would respond in this kind of quizzical kind of way. So you really wouldn't be completely 
sure whether it was a machine or somebody on a typewriter uh, in another room sending this stuff to you. So in a way, uh, you know, they, they, and right now on the web, there are all these bots that uh, do certain things. And uh, you can find them out if you kind of push it in a certain way. But within certain limited parameters, I think it already is passing that test. So but does that really mean it's intelligent? I don't know if that's a worthwhile way to think of it. I think it's important to think of computers as tools and never lose sight of that. You know, when I hear people ask whether or not we, we will we ever achieve something to the effect of a data, like on Star Trek Next Generation or some other Android, like on Westworld, uh, a more recent show, I think they're asking the wrong question. I think that what they really want to know is, can we ever develop a machine that can be human? Not necessarily intelligent, because I, I really think we're already there as far as intelligence goes, given the, the broadness of the definition. And the Turing test, yes, has been passed, and it's quite easy to pass it. All you have to do is have, as you say, a psychological... Yeah, uh, convince some gullible people that, uh, that yeah, it's a human if being. If you ask right? the computer and you say, <laughs> are you happy? And the computer responds with, why would you ask that question? That's right. You respond with a question. Yeah, I, I, I remember when they yeah. only had 16-bit machines out for games, and there was this one game that, because you stuck within the parameters of the rules of the game, no matter what you said to the machine, it actually sounded like there was a living person in there talking back to you they could they could respond so well and mm -hmm. that was years and years ago i think it's also because the general person out there has a limited vocabulary and a limited range of um, ways of thinking about a particular thing unless you really prompt them into getting out of that shell and being creative but my question to you chris is is there do you think an, uh, can you envision a point in time when machines would be um, have the same characteristics as a human being. I know they won't be human by definition, but will they exhibit human characteristics like being moral, choosing values, uh, things of that nature? Wanting to survive. Wanting to survive. That's, that's, I get, that, I get into that argument with certain people who believe that a machine, once it's developed enough and, and can sense things around it, it would develop this... Uh, this desire to survive, but I personally cannot relate to that. I think there's so many ways I could now. Now I've got at least two questions that yeah. I could respond to each one in about <laughs> okay. four different ways, right? So, could could they be human? Int human intelligence is the prototype for the the word, right? So, well, wh how, what is the nature of human intelligence? And it's a kind of a I mean, it's an amazing thing in a way. I mean, it is amazing. It's not just in a way. It is amazing. Uh, human beings are this kind of, I don't know, boiling mixture of emotive forces, emotions mm -hmm. and, and drives and everything else. And it's all very, you know, animalistic. And so on this sort of turbulent boiling water, somehow on the surface is the, the uh, there's some, uh, something unexpected emerges from it. There's this, this precise, clean crystalline thing called intelligence kind of floats on the top of this boiling emotional drive and that's 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 this intellect that's kind of something more than just the animal and in, in human beings and it's a it, it's something that uh, should create awe in people i mean it's just an amazing reality whereas an, a, an algorithm is just really just that is an, a simulation of that crystal bit on the top. It's not even the thing itself. It's a simulation of that. And uh, it doesn't have this boiling stuff going on in the background. And as I've often said to people, 
the inherent flaw in the the uh, Star Trek character, Mr. Spock, is that there's no more logical reason to get up and survive than there is to just to sit in the corner and die. I mean, there's no logic to it one way or the other. The logic doesn't decide that. That's that's. You mean Mr. Spock or Mr. Data? Mr. Spock. Oh, because he was a Vulcan, wasn't he? <laughs> yeah, but I mean, Mr. Spock and Mr. Data are really, in some many respects, they serve the same purpose. Oh, I on see. The, right, in many yeah. respects. But Spock was the original character. I mean, yeah, without was, the emotional. Yeah, uh, I'm a Vulcan. I'm yeah. incapable of lying, all this other stuff. You know, I, yeah. I operate, in essence, uh, I knew he was lying when he was saying that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> part, so there's no more logical reason for him to sit down and die than there is to get up and, and live and survive. Mm-hmm. So he has to have some sort of volition. And that was, of course, the problem with the writers. They needed to have this volition built in. So they said, oh, yes, well, it's not really he has no emotions. He just has suffering from deep repression of emotions. So they're buried down deep, and they're much more powerful than human emotions, but you just don't see them. It's not just volition that he would have to have. It's values. He would have to say, um, it's logical to survive because I value life. Why do you value life? Uh, That's where you get into the realm of morality and so uh, drives Wilson, and motivations. Not very often that I disagree with you, but I, I disagree with you on this. Oh, I, tell me. Oh, okay. I don't, I don't, I, I think values are terribly important. I, I mean, co- completely. I mean, in that sense, but even if you had no values, even prior to the idea of values, to just get up and go, you have to have something to drive you. And yes. it doesn't matter whether there are values or not values yet. I mean, you still haven't r- arrived at intelligence. You could have just a vol- you know, some sort of drive. It may be just pure voltage that makes you go. I mean, that's essentially what you have is you have an algorithm plus voltage, right? I mean, that's, that's what makes mm-hmm. a, a computer go, right? I mean, so you have an algorithm that's been powered by voltage. Take away the battery, the algorithm is over, right? I mean, it's, it's, there's nothing. But you also have to have a purpose and a goal. And that's there's no what I'm purpose, about. no goal, just voltage. <laughs> okay. Right. I mean, that's, is that intelligence? I mean, just think about it. I have a really complicated algorithm, and I drive it through its steps within an internal clock, which is powered by voltage. There's no value. There's no purpose. There's Not for a machine, correct. And I agree with and you. That, but you see, for that's a person, it, yes. Of course. <laughs> and we're t- well, that's, well, that's what, what I'm trying to do is to we're find trying a distinction to make between a distinction, the two. So yes. that at least we're agreeing on that. Right? Some people would <laughs> okay. say that we are machines ourselves, just operating on a different... Well, that might there might be an argument for that. But, but the, the problem is that there's a huge gap between you know, just going on a voltage and an algorithm and, uh, and, and what we are. I mean, we're... We're kind of this, uh, as I said, this sort of complicated mixture of boiling passions and feelings and so forth. And th- that is a whole world all on itself. I mean, the, and, and that's where the values come in. That's just, this is something that means something to us as human beings. But I don't think it matters to a piece of celery someplace, right? I mean, it's something that is part of our inner human experience, right? And it's not a property of the physical laws. It's about something we share between us. And, of course, you know, we get into kind of a Jung, Jungian state and we start thinking about the collective unco- unconscious and so forth. This is where we get into this world that we all kind of share and we can understand each other at some sort of level. But a machine is, doesn't, is not a participant in that in, in any way. So it's just, that's when we get down into our voltage, if you will. <laughs> you should have told us that Erica was this badly damaged. 
I'm not sure that I can fix her. I'm not an engineering unit. I tried but wasn't able to rewire her power supply. If you can't, she will be permanently inactive. Don't worry, Derek. The professor's good at this. If it's possible, he can do it. Yes, if it's possible. What you're doing there will not work. Please, I think I can make it work. But your pattern of wire relays is not consistent. It's called improvising. Circuits are so badly burned, the only way to repower her is to work around the damaged areas. Will improvising work? I don't know. But if you would shut up, I could finish the job and then we could both find out. I'm sorry if I was bothering you. I'll wait upstairs. Why do you do that? Hmm? What? Just run all over people's feelings like nothing else matters but you. Ah, uh, to begin with, I don't. And secondly, he's not a person. No, he has feelings. Miss Wells, he's a machine. Guess what? We may run on different oils, but we're machines too. And if you consider how you just behaved, you'd realize that that machine upstairs has just acted a whole lot more human than you have. Just a minute, young lady. You and I are not machines, and he, by definition, is not human. Now, I don't care how creative he is, whether he can compose a symphony or write a sonnet. He cannot experience the joy of creativity, nor can he experience the pain of failure. Now, what's the difference between us and them? It's an ability to tell the difference between right and wrong. It's our capacity for moral growth. It's our capacity for love, truthfulness charity and an ability to put up with friends when they drive us to the point of distraction when i see those characteristics in him then i'll reconsider the question till then he's just a damn walking calculator you're listening to just right broadcasting around the world and online thank you to all our financial supporters who have made it possible for us to continue on our journey in the right direction and to share our programming with the world Visit www.justrightmedia.org to offer your financial support, and while you're there, sample some of our timeless past broadcasts, which are all archived for your listening enjoyment. Now, you were just talking, Chris, that uh, things that we can expect machines to be doing for us in the future, and what are the limits of what they might be able to do for us. What do you see coming in the future in this field? The big struggle here with uh, something like this, which is has attracted so much attention and has so much hyperbole built around it is to try to get people to be realistic about things and to have a respect for and appreciation of what is being done and take away some of the mystique that kind of clouds people's judgment about what they can do. So they have this whole field called expert systems and in some sense they're trying to algorithmize, I don't know if that's the right word, uh, what experts do, so how they make decisions and so forth, and try to turn it into something precise and mathematical. And obviously, you know, the, to a certain extent, for some things, you can probably do that. Uh, you can you can sort of carefully follow them around, and then you make this decision, and what if that, and so forth. Then you can build an algorithm around that, and it can be something that's helpful. But you know, when computers go wrong, they go really wrong. Um, so well, it's kind of like garbage in, garbage out, isn't it? it, it doesn't it depend a lot on who the programmer is? And, uh, and no, I, I think I think that you know these things 
probably the first attempts at them probably are pretty bad, then they probably can be refined and tuned and they can, they can do more and more with that. But one of the things that people have to understand is that something like artificial intelligence is burdened with this kind of, qu these questions that I opened with, like is it intelligence a condition or is it an amount of stuff? So you imagine someone has more intelligence and someone has more and more and more and so you just fill up the intelligence tank until it gets so super smart it can solve anything. And so you have some science fiction movies about that where suddenly you can manipulate and the laws of nature and laws of physics suddenly get altered and so forth because they're just, they have such a huge amount of intelligence that they can overcome that. And there are certain things that probably it's unrealistic to expect that that will ever happen. And uh, one, uh, one thing that comes to mind when you were talking about this is uh, the attempt by computer scientists to uh, mimic, or to at least not mimic, but to beat Garry Kasparov in chess. Now, what they did was, of course, they developed a computer which would go the hard way to finding all the different ways that you could move chess pieces versus Gary yeah, Kasparov. They just won it by, by, by a sledgehammer. Number crunching. Yes, yeah. sled, that's, that's exactly what I was trying to get at. Yes. Bang, you know, done. A sledgehammer, which in no way play. mimicked the way Gary Kasparov thought about how he should play the game. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Yeah, absolutely no way a human being could have For many years, for many years... It was, you know, the whole information processing psychology versus versus man. It, it was widely discussed of how the grandmasters could always beat the computers. And then when Deep Blue came along and they actually had a computer beat a human, it's sort of like, you know, everyone kind of, you know, dusted off their hands and said, well, it's over now. The computers are smarter than people. But you're, you're completely correct. I mean, it just simply uses this sledgehammer to kill a fly and use brute force to, uh, to solve the problem. That is partly a property of the, the game itself. But there are other games that are way beyond computers. I think Go, for example, humans still do better than computers on that. And, you know, just the fact that there is such a game should make people pause because it really goes into this question of whether, you know, just a powerful enough computer is going to be able to answer all the questions like Douglas Adams, you know, the answer to the meaning of life, universe, and everything. Uh, there are lots of mathematics problems which are computationally complex, which um, computers can't handle straight up or even can't handle with with artificial intelligence style treatments such as neural nets, um, which is a kind of where you try to mimic a learning process with the, with the the brain goes through with an algorithm, and to try to figure out what the correct answer should be. And there are a fair number of these problems. They're quite well known. They're um, in this sort of domain of computational complexity, which is not like the central area of actual AI research. But there are people who when it comes to the sort of public understanding of artificial intelligence, these kinds of things become things that they imagine that computers could actually solve these problems. But so far, things like neural nets haven't really done very well with any, well, any better than things that are totally not AI-type methods of algorithms. So there are limitations to this, and people should understand that. If I might relate an experience I had myself playing a computer, a game of chess. Mm -hmm. You could set it to a simple level, intermediary level, and very difficult level, of course. And I guess I'm at the intermediary 
intermediate steps, and I said it good on, for you on that level. Yes. I don't Congratulations! Know that I don't know what it means either, but <laughs> well, it sounds good. But yes. but uh, <laughs> but, it, but if I did not lose my train of concentration and no one interrupted me through the game, I could beat the computer. Mm-hmm. But I found so then I set a little higher to a point where I couldn't beat it, and I was getting very frustrated. And I thought I'd try something different. And you know what I went and did, and how I beat the computer? No, let us know. I did the stupidest moves in the world. I took the pawn, the rook's pawn, and just walked it from the beginning of the game right to the end of the board, which no professional chess player would ever do in his life. And the computer went on with its general two or three opening moves. And I noticed that when my pawn got up near the end, it began to get slower and slower. And it was thinking, and it still took a traditional move. Bang, I get my pawn in the end. It was lost. And I was very surprised I could beat this thing by coming in the back, which I could never do with a real person. Nobody would let me get away with it. And yet if all those computations were in there, it should have been able to predict that in a way. And yet it wasn't able to do that. Maybe you should have put it at the level. master level rather than the intermediate. Well, that's what I mean. It was at a higher level. That's no, why I couldn't but you beat see, it. At, at here's, here, here's, here's the problem with this, is that when you're fight playing an, an algorithm, mm-hmm. you think you're playing the computer but what you're really doing is you're playing against not just that algorithm but you're playing against all the algorithms when you start to share this because the moment that it becomes known by people who make algorithms that it has this flaw (laughs) it can be fixed right i mean it's it's, it's easy they just put in if they do this ridiculous bob betts <laughs> maneuver right. we do the following things right i right. mean it's it's uh, it's easy to put it into that's the nature of what you're really dealing with you're dealing with a bunch of rules you versus these the set of rules and you the, that's the algorithm and the question is can the algorithm somehow beat you i mean and uh, if it can't the algorithm can be fixed you see the chessboard i mean after all is only eight 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 spaces across square right yeah, so, but so that's you think not, there's only so many yeah no no, no. i mean it, it, that's we mustn't think that way i mean it's uh, things these things become exponentially hard i mean they 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 very very quickly and there's there are a lot of compact things that uh, that get run away from even to simple computing programs one of the classic examples of the of a program that's complex uh, of a slew of a problem that's complex and is often used as a uh, a modeling competition type problem is something called the traveling salesman problem is a well-known mathematics problem and that's the simple issue of what's the optimal the least costly way to visit all of your clients uh, in a finite network. And um, this turns out to be something that um, a- as you grow the number of steps, it becomes, uh, and you add in more features, it becomes rapidly, the complexity of minimizing the cost grows exponentially. And so the result is that you're not able to find the m- most economical things, solutions. So whether you're uh, a bus uh, system trying to pick up kids to go to school or whether you're organizing some uh, assembly line and so forth. These, these are picking up milk deliveries, and these are all classic examples of this, and they become very quickly things that will bring any computer to their knees. And, in fact, that sort of goes to, the, um, to, to find the absolute minimum, the absolute minimum cost. 
is something that people just give on, up on. They just try to find the best or the best they can manage, and they work with that. An approximation. And, and, a, and yeah, approximation is maybe okay as a word. It's just like they don't get the best minimum. They get a pretty good minimum, and they work with that. And there are many different algorithms for this. I mean, one of the ones that was very, very popular and still widely used is something called simulated annealing, where you treat the network much as you would a bunch of molecules and some material and you're cooling it off. So you actually have a fake temperature and you cool the whole thing off and you get to the best minimum you can get. Then they have neural nets and it turns out which is the artificial intelligence version. And neural nets, you know, there are people who like those and then there's uh, something that uses mimics evolution. There's there's a genetic algorithm. So there's a whole different class. And then there's all kinds of hybrids of these and people all have their pet versions of this, but there's no absolute winner there. It's the, the artificial intelligence doesn't beat these other problems. So it's it's important that people understand that. We, we have these kinds of very real complexity problems that artificial intelligence cannot get a handle on. So I, they, that's not what most our AI people really talk about, that stuff. They don't, they don't uh, but it's, but people need to know that this stuff has its limits. <laughs> Ah, Lister, this is all a bit different, isn't it? See those scutters charging up and down the corridor, polishing, repairing, sweeping? The lifts are fixed, the fire extinguishers work, and when I say work, I mean they work when you turn them on, as opposed to when you happen to pass them and cough, <laughs> as they did under Holly's regime. Yeah, I suppose. Look, Lister, there's no point feeling sorry about Holly. It's a kindness. He's like a blind old incontinent sheepdog who's had his days. <laughs> Take him out to the barn with a double-barreled shotgun and blow the mother away. And I'm only saying that because I'm so fond of him. What do you think Holly feels? Feels? He doesn't feel anything, Lister. He's a computer. He still feels... cruel giving machines a personality. My mate Peterson once bought a pair of shoes with artificial intelligence. Smart shoes, they were called. It was a neat idea. No matter how blind drunk you were, they could always get you home. But he got ratted one night in Oslo and woke up the next morning in Burma. See, the shoes got bored just going from his local to the flat. He wanted to see the world, like, you know. He had a hell of a job getting rid of them. No matter who he sold them to, they'd show up again the next day. He's had to shut them up, but they just kicked the door down, you know? Is this true? Yeah. Last thing he heard, they'd sort of, um, robbed a car and drove it into a canal. <laughs> they couldn't steer, you see. <laughs> really? Yeah, Peterson was really, really blown away about it. He went to see a priest. The priest told him, he said, he said it was all right and all that, like, and the shoes were happy and that they'd gone to heaven. You see, it turns out shoes have souls. <laughs> In talking about artificial intelligence, I always thought that the ultimate test, and I always joke about this, but I think I'm being partially serious about this, is that if you really would know if you had a truly intelligent machine, if it also could be called artificially stupid in the sense of having the capacity to be irrational. Because that is a very human capability that a machine I don't think could possess in the sense that a machine 
given its algorithms, given its programming, given its logic, could it ever choose to behave illogically, to behave immorally, to behave wrongly in accordance with its own um, programming? And if it could, wouldn't that be the ultimate test of artificial intelligence? Or am I just off on a tangent here? Well, I find pardon it very, I find it very term. amusing. I like it. You like and, it, and, and, and I never. You never have to pardon for a mathematical term. <laughs> uh, yeah, being going off on a tangent, I do that all the time in calculus <laughs> classes. So. Uh, yeah, um, it makes me think of um, uh, a friend of mine. His name's Mark Tilden. He's a he's a Mr. Robot. I don't know if you've ever seen him, but he sort of occasionally gets in big uh, spreads and magazines and so on. And he always wears this fedora. And he, he brought his robots here to Western. And the title of the talk was, If This Is the Future, Where's My Robot? And <laughs> yeah. uh, he, he um, of course, you know, we have robotic vacuum cleaners, but they really aren't, you know, like the uh, robot made in the Jetsons, right? I mean, they're not you know, you know they were already predicting that they would have those in some of the Asian countries, you know, yeah, in Japan and, and stuff yeah, like that. Yeah, I know, I know that there's there's a lot of press hyperbole about this because people want this and they're fascinated by it, so it makes good press, and so therefore it makes a good thing for people to put together, and uh, and and yeah, people have a big incentive to make a big deal out of this stuff. So, okay, I mean, and if you want to do that, that's fine, but people would try to make automata that do various things. Well, one of the things that that he uh, argues is that um, um, an algorithm is not really the right way to go, and so he created all of his little robots that uh, that had a kind of um, electronic system that built in mathematical chaos, in essence, into the into its behaviors. So there was a kind of domain of doing a certain thing, but there was also uh, doing not doing that sort of thing. So it kind of was built in a little bit of stupidity, but allowed mm. them to kind of move around and do things that were unexpected. And that was that was one of the things that was sort of very typical of the of the the Tilden robotics was that, you know, there's there's these these robots that uh, that uh, could do things that you didn't really expect. There was a kind of uh, uh, exciting aspect to it, which is kind of one of the things about intelligence. Uh, when you're around intelligent people, you don't always expect exactly what they're going to do. I mean, Are you defining creativity? Well, I, I don't know if I'm defining creativity, but I was kind of laying that on the table so that maybe you might be able to see how emergent new lines of thinking come about, I mean, or could come about, in the, a real system that doesn't actually involve a digital uh, algorithm. So and this is something completely different than a digital algorithm. This is something more fundamental involving voltages themselves and how the electronics interacts with each other well, in chaotic know, systems. The fascinating thing about that is it's starting to make me think about the Turing test where your expectation is that the responses that you're going to get are going to be or approximate human behavior. In other words, you're going to want, you're, you're listening for expected answers what would a human say, right? Now, if you throw in some sort of spanner into the algorithm and you ask the computer a question and you don't know it's a computer or a human and they come up with something completely unexpected, 
you might think that, oh, that's very human, you know, to, to actually change the topic for a question or to throw something completely unexpected into an, an answer. So maybe this, this Tillman guy is actually on the right track for... Tilden. Uh, Tilden, so, excuse me. Well, I think, Tilden I think, guy for mimicking human intelligence. Yeah, I think, I think he's, uh, uh, he, he was so good, in fact, that the, uh, some, ja- some Chinese uh, toy companies actually hired him. And uh, they, the interesting thing is they used algorithms to mimic his, <laughs> his, his, his system. So a lot of these robots you see around are actually due to that collaboration. So these, these, pe- these robots you can buy in the shops and so on, you can see on TV, uh, Dressing up uh, the Big Bang Theory, there's one of his robots in the background. So it's, it's yeah. yeah. <laughs> you seem to be painting a picture, from what I'm hearing you say for the for the duration of our conversation today, that everything that we're hearing about artificial intelligence is really uh, very much unrealistic expectations that we're having from it. Would that be the big? bottom line of all of this? Well, I mean, in, in, a lot of um, you know, public discussion takes place in the media. And, uh, and that's fine. And that's what it's for. But one I of the mean, things beyond that, the science fiction but, and the fun part of it, that, we all enjoy that, I, you know, but yeah, I mean, but, realistic I, 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 but that stuff really defines to some extent what people think. And of course, it's a constant dilemma for people who want to go look more into it. Because if that becomes the definitive feature, then they aren't willing to come with you into those sort of more subtle aspects of it. This is one absolutely wonderful field, but uh, we have to understand a few things. I mean, there's a, another idea from science fiction, which I always used to enjoy very much, was uh, Arthur C. Clarke's idea of, um, of uh, intelligence, where uh, there was some sort of critical level of complexity there's it's completely vague about what mm-hmm. complexity means However but there's some, form it took, some took, it, yeah. but it, the idea is that it's some sort of phase transition you know it's some sort of like water freezes at this temperature bang at this level of complexity bang it becomes intelligent so he had this example of some frozen planet that was just connected they had some sort of internal elements in it that are connected in just such a way and suddenly it becomes an intelligent organism and so forth and this is, uh, this is a kind of a neat way to begin a science fiction story. But unfortunately, uh, it kind of brushes over, as all science fiction does, some sort of detail that is very important. So it, it just complexity, just the, the objects themselves, just sort of pouring more and more stuff in, like more and more transistors. I have a, a bucket full of transistors. That doesn't make it into a computer, and it doesn't make it intelligence. You need some well-defined structure involved and voltage to make it turn into something other than just a pile of silicone. I mean, so it, just like bricks, a pile of bricks is not a house. You have to have some structure to turn it into a house. And so intelligence is about the structure of these things, not the underlying materials, right? So, I mean, that's, it's got to be something like that. And I, I think that little bit of common sense makes that kind of clear. I think most people understand that if you think of it that way. But we're always, um, well, I don't know if I want to use the word seduced. I, I think people enjoy very much the fiction, the science fiction. I mean, it's it's very romantic to believe that there are sort of lovely, wonderful aliens out in space who we can have interactions with and talk to and so forth. And it's a very romantic thing. And maybe it is true and maybe it's not. 
and chances are, based upon history, it'll come out in some way we never imagined. And that's, I think, the same thing with, uh, with uh, artificial intelligence. It's going to come out in some way we never imagined. We'll probably end up having to revise our terminology and how we think about it. And, uh, and uh, right now we shouldn't get too awfully excited, but, but be open to the changes that are going to be taking place in how our world works because of the so-called smart technology and, and expert systems and all these other things that are slowly going to become part of our lives. But not to think that they are our equals or our masters, that we are the master. And they don't have volition, but we do. And uh, that's ultimately why that'll be the case. Now, speaking of volition, getting back to your early example in the beginning of the show when you talked about playing with the puppy, mm. um, <laughs> would, would you say that a puppy has more intelligence, quote-unquote, than, than, than a machine because it may have, quote-unquote, volition in the sense of, well, in a way that a machine wouldn't? As, as because it does have its own well, Bob, feelings. As, you know? as you know by now, <laughs> I'm very hesitant to say, to apply the notion of amount to intelligence, right? right? No, I'm so, not talking about amount. Just, just. But more basic, mm-hmm. is an inequality, right? It means it means that there's sure. a greater amount. A lot of people say chimpanzees are intelligent, for example. Yeah, yeah. No, I, I understand. Maybe, I, I, maybe if you say capabilities. I, I, I'm, I, 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 uh, I understand that in a sense there is something to that idea, but it's. I think it's a it's a problematic idea. That, but it doesn't mean I won't won't entertain the idea of problematic ideas, but I think it just is, it means it's just kind of not thought through very well. I mean, just remember the cattle, you know, uh, being more intelligent than a horse. Because oh, but you got to admit a border collie is more intelligent than a chihuahua. <laughs> Are you sure? Definitely. You're just going on the basis of behavior. Maybe inside the... I'm not uh, even sure that you're passing the my Turing test. Is, is, <laughs> maybe the chihuahua is, is working out a theory of space-time, you know, I mean, but... And just being quiet I'm not it. able to communicate this, you know. <laughs> you know, that actually uh, brings up something that I was talking to Bob the other day about when we were preparing for the show is that we are very, we are definitely subjective. Like, we can't get out of our brain and put ourselves in uh, your brain, Chris, to, to experience what you experience as consciousness or our dog to experience what they experience as conscience, consciousness or sentience. So what we have to do is infer based on the data that we have that, for example, you, Chris Essex, are a human being. You passed my Turing hmm. test. Are you sure? Uh, no, I'm not. <laughs> <laughs> with, with a degree Wait of accuracy, yes, Chris is yes, outside the window there. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I could very well be my and- the, the, uh, the android replacement. Right. <laughs> or You're I not could Chris Essex. What, you, what have you done with I, his body? I, I, yeah, I, I, or I could be an alien. You know, I've never been to this. <laughs> yeah. Well, Chris, it's, uh, we want to thank you for dropping by. It's amazing how fast the hour goes. I hope our listeners didn't think this was too much of a artificial conversation. Uh, well, but it's for just us, fun. I it's just, just come, intelligent I just conversation. Come, I just yeah. come for the pure fun of yeah. chatting with the two Roberts. You know. but for us, it was very real, and we hope that our listeners will <laughs> join us again next week when we'll continue our journey in the right direction. Until then, be right, stay right, do right, act right, think right, and be right back here. We'll see you then. Fade into color Color into black and white Under the bedclothes Everything will be
I used to uh, I used to temp at Fidelity with the they sell the money, and uh, I used to answer their phones, but I'd answer them in my movie phone voice. So I'd be like, "Welcome to Fidelity. This is Eugene Merman. How can I help you?" And I heard this woman go, oh, another machine." And I went, "I am not a machine." And she was like, robots are alive!